0: Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share with you that my book, Work Better Together, will be published this summer. This book is all about how to cultivate strong relationships to maximize well-being and create a more human-centered workplace. It's inspired by conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you. So check it out. It's available for pre-order on Amazon now. I've been very open about my own burnout story. In fact, it's something that I share frequently because I know the more I talk about it, the more it helps to fight the mental health stigmas in society and especially in the workplace. And I'm not the only one who is on the mission to help people understand that actively protecting our mental and emotional well-being is critical to our performance. This is the Work Well podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well being. I'm here with Ariana Huffington. Yes, the Ariana Huffington. She's the founder and CEO of Thrive Global, the founder of the Huffington Post, and a best selling author. In 2016, she launched Thrive Global, a leading behavior change technology company with the mission of changing the way that we work and live by ending the collective delusion that burnout is the price that we must pay for success. She's a well-being champion, sleep advocate, and an inspiration to all. I've known Ariana for the past few years and I'm truly honored to call her a co-collaborator and a friend. Ariana, welcome to the show. It's so good to finally have you on.
1: Oh, it's so great to be with you. We love all the work we're doing together and look forward to your book. And great to talk with you today.
0: I want to start with having you share your own personal story of burnout, because unfortunately, it's a story that I think we're hearing far too often. Uh, for for you and I in particular, we have similar experiences, but I'm hearing it more and more. So can you tell me about your own story of burnout?
1: So my story was in 2007, uh, two years into building the Huffington Post. I was the divorced mother of two daughters and I had bought into the collective illusion that in order to be a super mom and super founder, you have to burn out. And and I did. I actually collapsed from exhaustion, sleep deprivation. And um, in a way, after I broke my cheekbone and went through multiple doctors to find out what was wrong with me um in a way looking back it was an amazing wake-up call that i'm grateful for because i looked at all the science and looked at the data that showed that burnout is actually a global epidemic and um, i started covering all these issues uh, relentlessly on the huffington post and finally uh, in 2016 i left HuffPost to build, thrive, because I wanted to help people go from uh, awareness to action.
0: Yeah. So, so, you know, you and I, and, and so many others had to get to the point of burnout before we made changes, before we sought support, went to doctors, changed our lifestyle. Um, can you talk about, you know, what you've learned? Why is self-care and particularly mental health. I know we're talking much more about mental health in the workplace, but why is this still such a stigmatized topic in society and then especially in the workplace?
1: I think, Jen, that we are still uh, living in a culture that glamorizes business and being always on and And it goes back a long time to the first industrial revolution when we started revering machines, and after that, software. And if you think of it, the goal with machines and with software is to minimize downtime. But for the human operating system, downtime is not a bug, it's a feature. And now there's so much science and so much data that shows us that in fact, human beings do best uh, when we alternate between cycles of peak performance and cycles of recovery and um, rest and uh, relaxation and recharging. And that actually makes us more productive, more creative and more empathetic, which is more and more important as we're building more
0: inclusive
1: cultures.
0: And so how do we, change that mindset, not only for ourselves, but for everybody that we care about, that we work with, that we love.
1: (laughs) Well, as you know, at Thrive, we believe in what we call micro steps. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially after a year like we've all been through, asking people to do a complete life overhaul is incredibly hard. But asking people to take small incremental steps to build a life that they love, that is incredibly productive, but also joyful, is very different. And we call our micro steps too small to fail. And uh, we believe in breaking down any next action into tiny, tiny steps. There are hundreds of them. As you know, Jen, we even have a new book on Micro Steps Out. And these are like continuous real time stress interventions. And what makes me most optimistic is that we have the data now that shows that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress. Hmm. So while um, stress is unavoidable mm-hmm. cumulative stress is avoidable and that's really the killer it's cumulative stress that we are trying to mitigate and we can do it with these 60 second breaks between zooms or in the morning when we wake up or before we go to sleep and uh, setting boundaries to our phones all those things can be done in 60 second pauses uh, where we can breathe more consciously, we can stretch. I know you're an exercise buff. <laughs> um, we can remember what we're grateful for. There are multiple things we can do. And, um, and this interrupt the cycle of stress. We literally move from this um, sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system where we can uh, be Calmer, more empathetic, and more creative.
0: So, do you give me some examples of of some micro steps? I know you said there's literally thousands of them, and it pretty much could be anything, um, but what are some of your top recommendations?
1: We love, for example, starting meetings at Thrive, and we recommend with the customers who work with to start their meetings with a 60-second reset uh, where one of the team members literally plays the reset guide. Our app allows you to create your own reset guide. I don't know if you've done it, Jen, where you bring together things that bring you joy. Uh, For you, it could be your dog, Fiona. (laughs) It could be um people you love, landscapes you love, quotes you love, um music you love, and a breathing pacer. And in sixty seconds you move um into a different part of your brain and different part of your heart where you remember what you love about your life as opposed to what it stresses you about your life. And we are all dealing with both. Mm-hmm. And also we um, recommend doing that because it brings the team more closely together. Like if I don't know you very well and I see things that are intimate in your own life, I feel closer to you and we feel closer to each other because this is a human moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely you've written a lot and spoken a lot about corporate America, but just generally that we're facing a, a major mental health crisis. I think you talked about it as kind of the the pandemic before the pandemic. And and I think the, the COVID pandemic that we're living through, you know, has accelerated worker burnout. So can you talk a little bit about the, the mental health crisis that That we were facing before the COVID pandemic and and what you have seen and what you, you know, think we need to do, um, you know, even as we start to to move past the COVID pandemic that we're in.
1: So Jen, you're right. First of all, this is a crisis that predates the pandemic. It has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, But the pandemic is also a catalyst for changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, This conversation that you have been a pioneer in uh, bringing to the Deloitte workplace and to other workplaces is now pretty mainstream. Um, And it's part of conversations in the C-suite, on boards. That's really um, what has changed because the physical and mental well-being of employees now is no longer a nice to have. And yeah. um, it's essential and it's uh, very connected to the bottom line.
0: I agree with you. There's a lot of conversation about it, which is very, very positive because before we weren't really talking about it that much, but what are some specific actions that leaders can take when it comes to supporting the mental health of their workforce?
1: So two things. One is modeling this behavior, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to talk about any challenges they're facing, what they're doing, and also offering to their employees um, continuous support. You know, the 60-second breaks that I mentioned are very important in the same way, of course, that offering uh, telehealth and Uh, one-on-one counseling uh, is important, but we need to address both mental health symptoms like depression and anxiety, but also stress triggers before they become symptoms. And that's where um, leaders can make a big difference uh, by making the mental health conversation a part of um, everyday conversations and um, and looking at it, what we call a thrive by going upstream, and looking at prevention uh, as well as dealing with symptoms.
0: And what about for organizations who have had you know their employees or their workforce working primarily from home? Um, as we start to re-enter the world and society and in the workplace. We aren't going back to what it was and and I've read that you've said you know we shouldn't want to go back there because there wasn't you know there were a lot of things that were wrong <laughs> um but but what about reentry anxiety? How do we deal with our workforce and making sure that um you know we are in in some respects you know even though the way we're working right now isn't ideal, we've gotten used to it, we've adapted because people are resilient. (laughs) And now we're going to go into something that is yet again new and uncertain in a lot of ways. And so how do we deal with that?
1: Well, first of all, uh, we are going to go to a hybrid world. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot more people working remote or people working uh, some days remote, some days uh, from the office. Every company is... um, um deciding you know how to approach uh, the new world but definitely it's going to be a hybrid world and i think what we should be focusing on is the fact that this hybrid world requires hybrid skills mm. as you know jen we are talking a lot about um, reskilling upskilling and a lot of this uh, reskilling conversations focus on professional skills But I think the human skills of empathy, team building, collaboration are more important than ever, especially as people are going to be working some remote, some from the office. And it's much harder to build teams, to collaborate if people are not connected with these deeper human values and and human attributes.
0: When you talk about human skills and building these human skills are there micro steps associated with that
1: <laughs> absolutely so the first thing is being able to connect with ourselves there are micro steps that have to do with getting enough sleep and um, moving uh, remembering what we're grateful for And all these micro steps help us be more connected with ourselves. And when we are connected to this center of peace, strength, wisdom, resilience, from that place, it's much easier to be empathetic and to connect with others. It's much harder, as I know from myself, to connect with others when I'm running on empty. Mm -hmm. And I move into a fight or flight mode, I move into survival mode. I just want to try and um, get things done. And I have much less bandwidth to be my best self.
0: Yeah. I think, I think we've all had that experience. <laughs> yes.
1: And you know, when we talk about creating diverse and inclusive cultures, the truth is that it's very hard to con to create those. If we just look at the numbers, We also need to look at people's hearts and and how are they showing up at work? How are they part of creating these cultures of belonging? And another thing that we find critical that we work a lot um, with companies and also uh, have a lot of examples in our book is uh, around what we call compassionate directness. You know, when we are able to express um, frustrations, disappointments, grievances, it's much easier to get through them. When we don't express them, instead back channel them, we create a kind of toxic work environment. And it's much harder in that place to cultivate these qualities of empathy and collaboration yeah absolutely
0: a lot of uh passive aggressive behavior
1: <laughs> no
0: the worst is not it <laughs> so 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 let's kind of go back to to talking about mental health and in caring for our own mental health and and you know micro steps and the conversations it's having w- what about um that that you know that is being had um what about an employee or an individual just in general that is struggling with their mental health and you know, just continues to struggle um, and you know, perhaps needs to seek professional help or you know, do something different. Um, what, what would you tell that person?
1: Well, I think it's great that more and more companies offer support. Um, telemedicine, uh, real professional counseling, that is key. Um, Also, um, if they are willing to write about their experience, Mm. um, it gives cultural permission to others to know that they can ask for help. As you said from your own experience, Jen, it's very hard sometimes to be willing to be vulnerable, to, to ask for help, to not see that as a reflection on yourself. And to start with this level of self-compassion that is essential for self-care. So we think it's both um, seeking help, uh, being able to find help within the resources available uh, in the workplace, but also taking the micro steps around daily behaviors that will make the changes sustainable because you know how um, you can get better and then go back to the old ways. And uh, we all have this tendency to regress. (laughs) And you you know, you're a cancer survivor and I have a lot of friends who are cancer survivors who when they went into remission, they felt this incredible sense of renewal, of new beginning and I'm going to do things differently and um, value what really matters to me more, uh, prioritize things that matter, all those decisions we make. And then six months later, they were back to where they had been before. So that's why it requires building these daily habits that are very small, that are not difficult to build into our days so that we can actually, cultivate these habits in a way that make make our new life sustainable.
0: Yeah, I certainly relate to that as a as a cancer survivor, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I should ask you
0: actually. <laughs> did, did you regress or or were you able to change? It, it it's interesting and I think that I actually wrote a piece for Thrive about this, um that exact experience because when I was going through my cancer treatment, I was very diligent about my boundaries. It didn't matter who wanted to meet with me or have a call with me. I wasn't available if I was doing something to take care of my health and well-being. That was what came first. And Coming out of the treatment, I told myself that I was going to sustain those boundaries, you know, that they were really healthy, that I was going to block time on my calendar, that I was going to do things differently. And so I started putting blocks of time in my calendar and, and it was at the same time every day. And what I started to notice was that when somebody would send me a message and ask for time with me, I would know what those blocks on my calendar were. And I would negotiate in my head, well, I have 30 minutes blocked. If I give Ariana 15, then I'm still going to have 15. And I would start negotiating those boundaries away. It wasn't the other person that was pushing my boundaries. It was me giving it away. (laughs) And so I started to realize like, hey, hold on a minute. (laughs) This is my responsibility to hold these boundaries. And so I did. I recognized it and I course corrected
1: <laughs> oh my God. I love that. I think yeah. that's Amazing.
0: Yeah. So, so, and, and that's, you know, it, the interesting thing when we talk about boundaries and I know I've heard you talk about this is most of the time when we feel like somebody else isn't respecting our boundaries, it's because we haven't actually expressed or told that person what our boundaries are, what our needs are. And so we can't, you know, we can't blame others until we look at ourselves and say, Oh, wait, the reason they're not respecting my boundaries is because I'm I'm not respecting my boundaries, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and also, um, we are finding that very often, even let's say if you are in a workplace that totally respects your boundaries, you have a manager that rep- respects your boundaries. A lot of us find it very hard to stay off email or not to be, be drawn back um, into handling things late at night or finding ourselves falling into the rabbit holes of social media or binge watching Netflix late into the night. So we need to realize there is a lot that has to be done within workplaces to create boundaries uh, for employees. But there is a lot that we also need to do ourselves yeah. uh, by supporting these new rituals. That's why I believe in rituals and uh, that help us adopt new habits and see how much more creative we are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The I think the first time I read about doom scrolling was something that you wrote and then you wrote about hope scrolling, which I like much better. <laughs>
1: so
0: let's talk a little bit about the role of emotions in the workplace and and psychological safety and creating an environment where people can have these courageous conversations to speak up what is on their mind in terms of what's bothering them or speak up and ask for what they need. So how can we as colleagues and as leaders go about making sure that we are creating those environments for our people?
1: Well, you know, Jen, I feel one area that is underused in companies is onboarding. Mm. I feel onboarding is an incredible opportunity to instill these cultural values Everybody who is just joining a company wants to do well, wants to belong. And so we have launched what we call the entry interview. We should actually bring it to Deloitte. We find so much success with it because the first question is, what is important to you outside of work? And uh, how can we support you? And you know, we had a, a mother who said, what's important to me is to take my daughter to school at seven in the morning. That's an important thing for her manager to know. Yeah. There may be times when she may need her at seven in the morning, but nobody ever minds what they have to do occasionally. It's what you have to do every day. And particularly women, we find have a hard time speaking up about these things because they're afraid they're going to be on the mommy track or seen as not serious about their work. And yet it's so easy to to make these small changes that make any employee feel really valued, really supported. And when you take care of yourself and the things that matter to you, you're also so much better at work.
0: Absolutely better, better in all aspects of your life. And I, I talk about that frequently. I mean, it impacts in particular how we show up and treat one another, not just the work that we're doing, but how we behave with one another. We talked about, you know, environments that, that are toxic <laughs> when you have people that aren't taking care of themselves, the, you know, the chance of it being a toxic environment is pretty high, um, because, very, you know, very high. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so if you could go back, this is one of those questions. If you could go back to your to your younger self <laughs> prior to your burnout, what what's one piece of advice you would give yourself?
1: Well, um I actually went through my garage while I've been here in my home in LA and found a lot of old journals I had been writing through my life and And I saw how many unnecessary worries I had Mm. through the years. And I would sort of shout (laughs) to my younger self to stop worrying and to realize that that life is a dance between uh, making it happen and letting it happen. And definitely in my life, I've always had an action bias, as my daughters will tell you, like, there's a problem, I'll fix it. (laughs) And uh, that sometimes is great. But there are also times when we need to learn more about what the problem is, understand more, bring other people in to support us. And also there are moments when um, life comes up with amazing opportunities and solutions that we maybe would never have thought of, I mean, some of the best things in my life happened because I was open to them, not because I made them happen. So I do think life is a dance. And when we realize that it takes a big burden off us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you and I have, have talked about being worriers or, or ruminators. <laughs> yes. And and I think I learned the, the strategy, the the micro step for from you is to set aside time to worry.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um a lot of women especially who we have this false perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And so when we make mistakes and who doesn't, we tend to um basically look at ourselves um, in a way that um, exaggerates all our self-doubts, our imposter syndrome, uh, our self-judgments, and that's so debilitating and so draining. And I call this voice the obnoxious roommate living in my head. (laughs) And
0: learning to deal with that voice is key. Yeah, I like that, the obnoxious roommate living in my head. I have one of those too. And sometimes she's really loud. <laughs> uh, but you know what? You
1: know how we can um, reduce the volume. And now I really find Jen that my obnoxious roommate only makes guest appearances.
0: <laughs> That's great. I love that. <laughs> so, so we talked about your, you know, your advice to your to your younger self. What looking into the future. What do you think workplaces are going to look like when it comes to the future of work and, and well-being and mental health?
1: Oh, I think we are entering an amazing phase where this mental health conversation is mainstream, where we see mental health, emotional health as key components of um performance and business metrics. Mm. And that is key, that is a huge shift. I mean, the things you've been working on for years are now becoming mainstream. We are still swimming in a culture where many people are captives of that delusion uh, that burnout is the only way to succeed. Uh, But that's always the case when there are big, social shifts. You know, you have the trailblazers and you have the laggards, and um, we see both. Uh, But the shift has happened. Uh, Obviously, we need to make sure it deepens and grows, but that's one of the silver linings of the pandemic.
0: So one last question for you, Ariana, and there's so much wisdom packed into this conversation. How do you personally manage your Mental and emotional well being on a daily basis? What are your, your go to things?
1: Well, my number one go to thing is sleep. I believe sleep is foundational for our physical immunity and our emotional and mental health. And, and I prioritize getting eight hours of sleep, which is what I need. And that requires a pretty sacred transition to sleep of turning off my phone, charging it outside my bedroom, um, having a hot bath or shower to wash away the day, only reading physical books in bed. I am a big believer of each one of us building our own transition. Even if you start with five minutes, mine is 30 minutes now, but don't worry about that. (laughs) Uh, Start wherever you can. And, And that, slowing down of our brain makes it possible to sleep more deeply not to wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to go to sleep which often happens because our brain wakes us up and um and waking up recharged and this is such a great great thing you know to be able to um start our day excited about what we're doing. I mean, you and I have talked about how blessed we are to be doing things we love. And uh, when I'm exhausted and sleep deprived, it's hard to connect with that feeling of joy and gratitude. Yeah.
0: If you only take one thing away from this podcast, take away, get more sleep. Well, Ariana, thank you so much for for joining us today. Like I said, this conversation was full of wisdom, as I knew it would be. And it is such a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jen. Loved being on your show and love our work together. Thank you.
0: I'm so grateful Ariana could be with us today to talk about her personal story and well-being. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword work well, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher, or on Twitter at genfish 23 We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well.